Hello, and welcome to Cybercast, Cyware's first multimedia series designed to bring you firsthand insight, intelligence, and expertise from the cybersecurity world. I'm your host, Tom Bain. I'm the VP of Marketing at Cyware, and I'll be taking you on this journey as we get better acquainted with some of the people who are advancing our industry. To kick things off, we're going to talk to two investors helping fuel Cyware to become the only provider of cyber fusion centers globally, and where they see our industry changing most. All right, thank you very much, and welcome everybody to our first ever Cyware Cybercast. My guests today are Charles Collins and Zach Sivertson. Hi guys, how are you today? Great, thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy to be, uh, happy to be in the first Cyware Cybercast. That's that's pretty. That's that's exciting. This is big time. This is this is big time. We'll have to get you a Screen Actors Guild card yes. after this one, both of you. So uh, yeah, thank you guys very much. This is great. So we're gonna kick off um, with a couple of questions. First, let me just give uh, the audience today a little bit of an intro. Um, Zach Silverston is a managing director at the Prelude Venture Fund, part of Mercado Venture Partners. And Charles Collins is a managing director with Emerald, who is also a venture capitalist firm. All right, so, so guys, uh, first question to both of you as we're, as we're here on the first Cyware Cybercast. So you both have really diverse backgrounds, both operationally and from an investment standpoint. Um, Zach, you've run product at Symantec and Bluecoat. Charles, you've run, you've, uh, you've worked at PwC. So, so like in the Wayback Machine, you've got a lot of experience on the audit and governance side. What pushed both of you to investing in cybersecurity full-time um, and other markets that are really built on innovation? Well, uh, I guess I'll go first because I'm a lot older, but you know, the Wayback Machine is right. Uh, it was more than 25 years ago that I, that I left public accounting and joined um, uh, the predecessor to Emerald, which was a company called Cohen and Company, founded by my partner, Neil Cohen, 26 years ago. So uh, I think I got out of audit and compliance because like most people, not to knock it, but it, it can be a little boring. Um, got into early stage VC. And one of the very first deals we did was enterprise software. We did a lot since then. It's been uh, an interesting ride, but it, you know, the operational aspect of what uh, Neil and I did is we, along the way early on, we founded um, and built from scratch what is today the largest salt mine in the country. And it's, it's, it's awfully odd when we talk about it. Back then, we, we, we used to say and joke that, well, we invest in things that begin with the letter S. So it's software and salt mines. But um, as founders of a company that we grew really from a patch of grass to a large operating company worth well over a billion dollars, we can relate to you know, what our founders go through day in and, you know, all night long as they're starting their companies. So that's the part that we both find exciting. And it's why, you know, we were happy to be the first institutional investor in Cyware. And we can relate to what Anuj and, and the team and, and, and you guys, Thomas, and, and your team are doing. So that's what we find exciting. That's awesome. And, and Zach, over to you as well, too. You've got a background at... From uh, working on the product side uh, at Symantec, 
got blue coat. So this is definitely a shift from that type of that type of operational role to what you're doing now. Yeah, and um, you know, my role at, at Blue Coat and Symantec was pivotal. Um, I had a really unique opportunity at, at both Blue Coat and Symantec to be uh, playing a critical role in our M&A strategy, as well as our uh, Symantec ventures. We had a corporate venture fund that invested off the balance sheet at Symantec, and I quickly realized that I love investing in early stage entrepreneurs. And so I knew I wanted to be involved, and uh, so I made the switch. And that background is pivotal is a pivotal reason to why I choose to invest in, in cyber companies. I love to invest in things that I understand. You know, often we get people coming to us with healthcare companies or companies talking about, you know, curing cancer or whatever. And I, I just can't provide any value uh, to those companies because I don't understand it. You know, so one motto I live by is if, if I don't understand something, then I typically don't invest in it. And, you know, cyber, or, uh, Cyware was one that I easily understood quickly and it, it related well to my background. And so I was eager to jump in and get involved and help where I can. Very cool. And I think that kind of dovetails right into the next uh, the next question, which is within your respective organizations, are you, do you have specific areas? Obviously early stage is, early stage innovation is, is a key target area for you guys, but Beyond early stage, are you looking at other things like like a Series B, Series C, growth stage? Do you guys have do you guys write checks for like later stage organizations that are maybe closer to IPO? Yeah, so at Mercado Partners, uh, we have multiple funds uh, under management. We have uh, just north of a billion dollars raised and multiple practices that we invest out of. One of them is an early stage fund uh, which invested out of Cyware. But we also have a growth stage fund, uh, which invests in, you know, anywhere from a B round up to a D round or pre-IPO. And then we also have a direct secondaries fund, which purchases uh, secondaries from investors. You know, sometimes entrepreneurs need to put their kids through college and they might be rich on paper or they need to build a home. And so we support that as well. So at Mercado, uh, we try to have multiple funds to support uh, every stage of an entrepreneur's life cycle. And, yeah, so Charles, sorry about that. No, no, of course. Uh, it's a harder question to, for us to answer about Emerald. I mean, as a lot of things, when we try to pigeonhole us into traditional VC, we're, we're a different shop, right? So there's a few things that make us unique. We're a little bit like a family office because we are investing in a large part of our own money often. So the partners at Emerald are, are contributing, you know, at least 20% to every deal. Um, we, we, you know, so, so we, we get behind our deals and we like what Zach said, we will focus on things we know. We have a much broader mandate. We'll, we'll go far outside, you know, maybe the norm of, of just cybersecurity. We look at biotech, we look at industrial tech. Technically, we'll look at everything. We do like to do things that we know, you know, or have some knowledge of and we have subject matter experts to help us with. But um, we have the flexibility to do a lot of different things. We, but we feel most comfortable doing startups because that's where our experience is. That's a commonality we have. We are looking at, for example, a series D round in a biotech company that has a lot of different interesting offshoots. 
And you know, it's a lot higher valuation, a lot later stage. Um, we are getting creative though, and thinking about forming an offshoot and a JV with a spin out something out of that company. So we're creating an early stage aspect of a much later stage company. So you know, the, 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 long, the short answer is we're flexible um, is, is what we do. That's really cool. And having that flexibility too, I think for both of you is like, you've got domains that are, that are really interesting that you know, uh, but you look at innovation kind of across the spectrum. If there's innovation that's, that, that's seed or series A, you can, you can see that. And you can see that obviously early in something like a Cyware too, but something later, later stage, I think is really interesting too, that you guys can run that, that full gamut very, very interesting to me, certainly on the operational side. Um, all right, so mo so moving on, I think that goes into trends. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in cybersecurity that get you guys excited? Um, do you and, and I think we've already covered we've already covered um, what you guys do, what you've done in your past life that sort of led up to uh, both of your investment positions. So. When you think about things that you've done and what's really cool and what's to come today, what are the things that you're seeing that get you really excited? Uh, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity, I think the, the, the converse of that question is, where do you start to find things that aren't expanding rapidly and aren't just dramatic growth associated with them? I, I, I truthfully, I don't know where to start, right? So. Uh, solar winds, uh, obviously, you know, a major, 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 major concern, and, and we're not going to know the impact for years. It, that opens up huge issues, in supply chain. Um, and I'm going to kind of, you know, I'll answer this question, maybe on a more macro level, and, and Zach, who's a lot more technical into security, can answer it in a more detailed fashion, because I'm going to bounce around. You look at DevSecOps and how fast those companies are moving. You know, you, you, you look at the hyperscale companies and, you know, they're stitching together apps on a daily basis and doing, you know, 500 deployments a day. It's, it's, it's mind boggling when you think about it. And there's a security component to all that naturally. And so how do you find tools that can make and accommodate the necessary speed for businesses to develop and then also, and you know, to allow developers to do their magic, but then also provide a secure environment. So I, you know, I don't have the answer for that. And then you mentioned compliance, my audit background. You know, I'm not a huge fan of investing per se directly into compliance, but it's a necessary component. It's a very solid component of, of, of cybersecurity as well. So I, I could go on and then not to mention cloud. It, it is a massive, massive, massive space. And I, I think the challenge for investors like Zach and I is with so much to choose from, you know, and, and so much to get excited about, you, you gotta be careful and pick your spots. So that, that, you know, these are good problems to have for investors in the space, but that, that if you ask me, that's our problem. But I, I'd love to hear what Zach would say, you know, much more technically about you know, some of those areas and others. Yeah, no, uh, great answer, Charles. Um, you know, I'm seeing some similar things you are, uh, you know, kind of more particular, a few things, a few areas we're looking at. Uh, the first one has to do with 
the life cycle of how engineers build and deploy code and how they ensure that that's secure. You know, if you think about an engineer today, their, their core focus is how do I check in code fast and how do I make sure it's stable? And security is often an afterthought. And so we're seeing a lot of really neat companies spin up that have to do with helping a developer in real time think about security, right? When you look at a traditional IDE, it looks at just syntax, right? And it may look at basic things like buffer overflows and provide warnings to developers, but how can we take a step back and, and empower developers right from writing code to be secure? And we're just seeing some amazing companies in that area. Uh, you mentioned the supply chain, Charles, that's one we're looking at. How do I know that the source code I'm checking in is a source code that ultimately makes it into production? And that's a question that wasn't asked five years ago, right? We look at um, just the environment that a developer codes in. Historically, they've been able to take source code home, have it on their laptop, take it on vacation, right? And that's a huge problem. Uh, and I think that's gonna change uh, going forward. Uh, open source security is one that we're looking at. How do I know that the open source code I'm just trusting is okay and then checking into my environment doesn't have some sort of backdoor. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, into 21 and 22, I wouldn't be surprised if there's large attacks that stem from uh, open source projects. So I think securing those is gonna become a very important thing going forward. Sure, it's really interesting. There's and just, you know, sorry if I can add Thomas too. So, you know, there's some, there are obvious evolutions, right? As we, we migrate to the cloud, uh, as we move clearly away from perimeter to you know protecting applications, right? So one of the areas where we're focused on as well is application uh, protection. So real-time application protection and, and cloud workflow workload protection um, are areas that we're keenly focused on. It's a it's a really hard problem to solve. Um, there are companies out there with solutions. Um, I think they'll get there. It, it's sort of, you know, the adoption is going to take time because they're difficult problems to solve. But we, we have our eye on a couple of companies that we really like. We think they have a solution. And, um, you know, it's going to be very interesting. Very cool. Uh, I, I was going to say there, there's a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of new Linux, like Linux container and Linux styles of organizations uh, popping up seems to be when you're when you're looking at commercial versus open source code uh, there is there is a dramatic difference um, and I think that you know the, the it almost kind of seems like we're going we're like kind of going back to the future a little bit with application security because everything now is app based and now I think with the move toward the cloud you know digital transformation is kind of changing everything and I guess you know I know we had a we had a couple. We had a couple questions, and we want to. We want to uh, kind of work this as a freeform interview. But honestly, I think it comes down to like: Are you seeing digital transformation as that like number one forcing function for organizations to rethink what they're doing in cybersecurity as far as innovation? You know, the the digital transformation and work from home components are. I mean, we've never seen an acceleration to cloud like we're seeing. Uh, you know, we're seeing huge growth in e-commerce just exploding. Uh, an interesting stat uh, that I saw yesterday was, you know, e-commerce has experienced 10 times or 10 years of growth in one quarter uh, with some interesting wow. stats that were released. And it's the same with uh, 
you know, working from home, it's causing an explosion in new cybersecurity technologies that we didn't even, you know, think about or consider. You know, no one thought that their team would be 100% remote under any circumstance, right? That wasn't in anybody's fallback plan, really. Um, some disaster recovery plans contemplated it, but they were never seriously thought about. And then, right, we woke up and it, it happened. So it, it for sure is driving uh, a rapid adoption of cloud. Uh, there's a few players that uh, have experienced some serious tailwinds because of that and are going to continue to invest heavily. And there's, there's tons of startups uh, that were born uh, right in this era of digital transformation and you know, the, the pandemic has certainly spurred that. So, yeah, I think it does play a huge factor. <clears throat> you know, and adding to that too, one of the things that's interesting, it's a trend, it's not just a digital transformation, but it's accelerating it too. So if you think about, you know, small and medium-sized enterprises, where historically they're, they're allowed to sort of adopt more slowly that it's no longer true for security, right? The excuse of we're not large enough um, to worry about security, we'll, we'll cover that when we get there. The fact that these enterprises are now digitizing faster, you know, they're migrating to the cloud with, you know, the help of consultants and such, but they can't ignore the security aspect. And um, it, 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 it's, it's a really big deal. I think it's, it's a next wave that's gonna come. They're, 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 you're, you know, they're, they're subject, obviously, to the, the ransomware attacks, but I think you're going to see more disruption happening at that level in the very near future. Really interesting. Uh, both of you just gave me an idea <clears throat> on something that I, I've been meaning to ask, you know, uh, got guys that are in your position as investors in cyber. Where are, where is, uh, where are we going with mobile security? Because when I think about <clears throat> when I think about work from home, having kids, both are, who are in a hybrid learning program, so some days in school, some days at home, um, the technology use is exploding, not only just in the, in the workplace at home, but it's also school at home as well, too. Are you seeing, are you seeing more movement in mo or, or any motions around mobile security? Uh, to secure devices, to secure specifically mobile apps that a lot of students are using, things like that? Yeah, no, certainly it, uh, and it kind of goes back, you know, to being spurred by the, the pandemic a little bit, but, you know, I think back to when the, uh, it first occurred and I'm trying to get laptops for my kids and, and mobile devices uh, for them to do school at home and I couldn't even get one, right? It was a two month wait uh, to get a Chrome laptop for your kids for school. And so the usage has just exploded. And, uh, you know, security often wasn't being considered. Sometimes, you know, basic uh, acceptable use policies were being considered on those devices, but, uh, you know, security was often an afterthought uh, because it wasn't enterprise. Um, but now it's, it's heavily being considered. And uh, there's a couple different forms that are sticking out, uh, you know, Zero Trust is a component of that, uh, that has a mobile tie to it. But then we're seeing uh, interesting startups happen where there's a complete different OS for some of these mobile devices that are completely locked down that provide uh, acceptable use and security controls uh, for students. Um, and so that's, that's one area I'm seeing uh, is almost custom hardware and software compiled together 
uh, for the student is something I'm seeing as of late. No, it's a good point, Zach. I, 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 I haven't, I don't have, you know, it's anecdotal in, in sort of discussion and I haven't seen a specific company doing it, but I've heard discussion about it. And really almost in, in, in what's wild is, you know, we're investors in security and I, I, I live in an area right outside of New York City. So there's a lot of uh, you know, investment bankers. We got deal makers, we got all sorts of people and people that are dealing with confidential information. So you have our students, right? And they're worried like, wait a minute, I'm you know, dealing with a multi-billion dollar acquisition right now from my parent company. And I'm on the same, my kids are on the same network they're having like waking up in a cold sweat, wondering if they're protected. And then they turn around and they ask me because they happen to know I invest in cybersecurity. I, I, I tell them, look, I, I know there are solutions out there right now. They're bespoke. I mean, it doesn't really, from, from my perspective, I haven't seen anything that's addressing this immediate need. Yes, there's remote access tools and there, there, there are uh, emerging uh, security companies that have capitalized on the need and they have great product for it, right? We're an early investor in one very small piece, more of a foothold to understand how things are going, but I don't have an answer and it's a big problem, right? And, and Zach mentioned zero trust. Zero trust is, you know, it's an overused buzzword, but to quote Ed Amoroso, I mean, it's an absolute necessity. So you, you can't ignore it. Um, You know, the fact that I'm, uh, I'm flummoxed by it means there's opportunity here for, for founders and developers and for investors. It's, it's just a whole new world. Yeah, one other thing I'll add, uh, Charles, uh, we were studying, uh, you know, for diligence on a company recently, we were studying vulnerabilities and the pace that vulnerabilities are being reported and discovered. And a certain trend that we noticed that was really interesting is the pace in mobile platforms, the vulnerabilities that are being discovered on mobile platforms is accelerating you know, much quicker than some of the other uh, core operating systems that we're seeing. And so I agree with you. I think there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I always just think about the, the heavy usage of stuff like TikTok and things like that that my, you know, my two kids use yeah. with supervision. But, you know, it's very, uh, you know, it's kind of a scary world out there when you're, think when you're in cybersecurity and everything you're focused on is business related in the B2B world. And then you've got, you know, kind of all kinds of, you know, apps and privileges and, you know, and mobile phones and iPads out there that are just kind of flailing in the wind. Because um, obviously the education sector isn't known to be the, the big spenders in, uh, in cyber anyway. So <clears throat> definitely, definitely interesting. So when we publish this first, when we publish this first Zoom and podcast, um, anybody who, anybody who listens in, they can send you guys, uh, you know, their, their ID, you know, their ideation money for, uh, for giving them that. Um, well, look, I mean, like you say, schools, and then sadly, healthcare, right? Healthcare is worried about patient care and the technology was often second. So the health systems were slow to adopt and, and they were constrained by budgets and they're the most vulnerable, vulnerable and have been, you know, attacked the most by ransomware. It's, it's horrible, it's happening. So the good news is, you know, there, there are solutions, but um, th this problem is not going away. It's clearly not going away. Yeah, it's, uh, it, bring, it just, it almost seems like there's a new, 
there's a new set every quarter. There's a new set of risks that, that you start that start to evolve based on heavy usage, critical mass, um, and certainly you know just being able to do things in a in a better, faster, cheaper way in the cloud. It's always going to bring up opportunities, but it will bring in some more risks as well too. Um, so let's let's shift gears and talk a little bit about Cyware if we could. So obviously both of you are were were early investors in Cyware, right? And we're a young company. Um, we are you know we're starting we're starting to emerge as a legitimate player in the SOAR and threat intelligence markets. What was it about Cyware in particular for the two of you that where you guys said, yeah, this is like, I'm putting down, I'm gonna slap down a term sheet and this is this is innovation that that really interests me and that I see a future in. We were the first institutional investor and, and you know, and, and, and Zach joining with and Prelude was great affirmation and as to, so what we saw in the early pieces of, of Cyware that we thought were the correct choices it's great to then have a firm like Prelude come in with, with really serious security backgrounds and validate our, our, our early choice. So when you're really early stage investing like we do at Emerald, and, and it's beyond, to give you an example too, we spend an awful lot of our time at academic research institutions like, well, I won't name them. I don't want people coming and chasing the technology that we pull out of them, but we help commercialize really early stage companies, right? And, and we're, we're sometimes, you know, working with, with kids that are still undergrad, but they have, they're fantastic, they're brilliant. Um, so we have to make really early bets. And with, with Cyware, what I really liked about Cyware initially and still is the team, okay? It's a fantastic team with a lot of experience, not to knock the kids that we invest in, right? But it, it, it helped us, you know, gain comfort and write a big check because, you know, Anuj Goal and Akshat Jane come from large organizations where they were solving with, with massive budgets, right? And they were trying to solve really hard problems. And they were realizing that the tools that were available weren't getting done. So they, they sought to develop their own tool and their own platform. And when you find a team like that, that develops something out of pure need because of pure experience as an operator, you know, that's what we like to get behind. And that's where we, we, we got comfortable. Um, yes, we have experts in the field to help us, uh, you know, vet the technology, of course, but as an overall premise, what we loved about Cyware was simply, you know, a team that when they were on the inside, we're finding that there were gaps, big gaps. So they developed, you know, an approach and a fix to it. And it's been, it's been great ever since. So we're, we're really pleased with the Cyware investment uh, and we're happy that, that Prelude's involved and, and uh, you know, Zach can, can explain why, why he was excited, but the whole team has been a great addition as well. And it's, it's really helping Cyware. And I'll give you a little bit of backstory on, on you know, how I discovered, you know, Anuj and, and the team. I was at RSA in 2019. And for those that go to RSA, it, it, you know, it's just a super busy time. And I 
had gone through a bunch of busy days and, and then was at the AGC conference, just listening to entrepreneurs pitch, you know, 30 minute pitch sessions for four hours, four or five hours. And I had the last one and it was with the news and I sat down and just immediately, uh, you know, there was a few things that I recognized similar to Charles, uh, the background, you know, a news came from city, super competent and recognized the problem. Uh, two, I immediately realized how mature their product offering was uh, for how long the company had been in business. It's very rare that you find even one product that's mature, let alone, you know, Cyware having multiple product offerings. And then I immediately realized uh, the maturity of the engineering organization. You know, Ashkat runs a, a great team, you know, mostly based in India on the engineering side and uh, just an exceptional uh, product that they've developed. And uh, I think I kind of showed my cards a little bit too early. I remember at RSA, I immediately was like, Anoush, you want to come to Salt Lake next week? And this was right in the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, I think he could tell early on I was uh, extremely interested and um, I maybe showed my cards too early. But, uh, you know, a few other things we, we really liked about uh, the company. One is I was heavily involved in some of the thinking around the SOAR market in the early days. You know, we were considering getting involved heavily. We were considering acquiring companies that were in the SOAR space. And one thing I immediately realized was that the SOAR market was very young and the cybersecurity market wasn't ready to adopt it, right? The SOAR market was kind of pushing itself onto these big security players and they didn't have the APIs and the interfaces ready to do it. And you know, the early SOAR players did a great job at pushing the envelope and getting these bigger players to build the right APIs. Um, but there were so many things that Cyware had that is really the next iteration of SOAR. You know, bi-directional threat sharing is a really big deal. Some of the flexible threat scoring that's there. I knew that we had, uh, you know, many features and functionality that weren't present and we had a great team. So for us, it was uh, a winning combination. Yeah, it's good. That, that's really great to hear. And I've, uh, I, I myself have uh, I presented quite a few times at the uh, at, at the AGC conference um, in San Francisco. I think they and they run it in Boston too, where I live. Um, and it's and it's always a little bit nerve wracking when you get up there. Not just you know, not just having to go to the speed dating sessions at, at the tables for meetings, but getting up there in front of um, you know a, a, an audience that's mostly comprised of investors uh, and knowing how many pitches that they do here on a weekly, monthly, you know, quarterly, annual basis, uh, you really want to try to differentiate yourself. So it's, uh, so it, and I, and I think one of the big, one of the big things that I've realized in some of my experience working with investors is being able to clearly identify the gap that you're, the gap that you're filling in the market and very clearly being able to articulate and demonstrate the problem that you're solving um, quite competently. And to, Obviously, Anuj is my boss, so I'll say good things about him. But I, you know, I don't, I don't doubt for a second that he knew exactly what that was, just given his operational background at City. Well, you know, and, and you raise a good point. And not only his operational background, but you, you know, you have to realize he he held very serious, serious senior positions, and he understood as well that uh, you know these these tools, the security tools that are out there, sea uh, level or uh, uh, executive team members and the board need to know really what it is they're getting. What 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 what's the ROI on their investment? 
And one of the things we loved about Cyware early on and, and specific, specifically talking to customers and understanding how Cyware built you know, its platform was providing that, that information to the board, to the C-suite, not you know, obviously about alerting them to the security threats so that they have, their organization is, is prepared, but understanding exactly the time to detect, you know, the time to contain, the cost to contain, and, and we were blown away to understand that these were features that were embedded within Cyware and, and they didn't even advertise this, right? These were just tools that they thought of because they had to deal with these problems when they were sitting there and answering questions you know, to their boards. And they thought, wow, security teams really need to know and they need to have these, these tools. And they built that in it's there. It's, it's, it's a feature sets that you know, you have to dig in to even find. So we just thought that it was, it was a product uh, and an approach that really thought about the ROI and what, what, what senior executives need to know to make decisions you know, today. Really interesting stuff. And both of you sort of struck another chord of resonance in me, which is when you think about, when you think about as particular markets within cybersecurity start to kind of crop up, um, and you think about like first movers versus guys that come along two years down the road, three years down the road that can clearly see what the gaps are that these technologies from the first movers category were not addressing. How do you sort of think, how do you sort of frame that in your mind? Is it better to be, is it better to have that idea and come to market or is it better to kind of wait and, and, and kind of see what that market looks like. Because I can think of, I mean, even companies that I've worked for in the, in, in the past, um, coming along at a later date to be able to go, yep, well, we can do that, that, and that better. And then look, we can do this, the whole thing over here. What, what are your thoughts on, on first movers versus sort of like third, fourth, fifth to market? I think a lot of it comes down to the founder's core competencies. Right. We have some founders that are amazing storytellers and they can go out and educate a market and really explain why something uh, needs to be a certain way. And if you're that type of founder that can go out and do that, there's huge advantages often to being first to market. Right. Uh, but if you evaluate yourself and look at your own skill set and realize that you, you know, you might not have the chops to go out and educate a market. Uh, some of the greatest companies ever created were late to market. They just did it better. Right? And I would actually put, you know, Cyware in that category. It's not the first to come to market with the SOAR product, right? There's been many, but I would argue that they're doing it significantly better uh, than much of the competition. So for me, it really comes down to the skill set of the founders and entrepreneurs. And there's also an element of, of uh, how big of an idea and how much education it would take, uh, you know, to educate the market. Um, one comment, though, I wanted to make on the prior question about, you know, filtering out a Nusion team. There was one situation, when you invest in an early stage company, you often invest in the, the people because that's really, you know, what's there. And, you know, when I when we started calling people on our Rolodex uh, that knew Anuj and we were doing our, you know, kind of diligence checks and, and calling people that he knew, it was clearly different than most calls. And the way that people spoke about the founding team there was different. And, you know, they had a friendship with them. They cared about them. They cared about Ashcat and Anuj in a way that was different. And they, uh, they, you know, many people just said, 
you know, if I had the money, I'd invest. And that was, that was a big differentiation for us and just something I forgot to bring up on the last question. So. And it's, and it's true, right? You, you, you invest in there, there's technology, but you invest in the people because you, you need people until the robots take over, you need people to run a business, right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Um, and I, you know, I agree. I, and sorry if I can add, just you know, yeah. having lived through the dot com era, where you know FMA was something that was, you know, on the second slide, maybe back when I think we joke that you know in 1999, it pretty much was million dollars a slide is what they asked was. <laughs> it was just nutty times. So I, I'm, I'm negative on FMA. Um, I, you know, even though we're very, very early stage, right? Everybody wants to see uh, product market fit, but, but I just, you know, don't, don't come to me and tell me you've got first mover advantage. Uh, you, you really need a product and you have to think about the people that are going to be behind you and copying you and you got to already be better than them. So FMA is not the answer. If you're brilliant and you figured something out, yes, but just, you know, be ready to back it up. Sure. That's, and I think that'll be really helpful for, for any entrepreneurs and, and, and those that are, that are looking at new innovation or bringing new innovation to market. So yeah, it's really, really cool stuff, guys. Um, let's see. So we talked, we, we've hit on a number of different things already. I'm wondering it's probably the obligatory question about COVID. COVID nineteen, we're we're obviously not out of the woods yet, um, but there's there's some light, right? We have we have some thing, we have a, a couple of vaccines that are that are starting to be administered. Um, we're never going to go back to the same way that we've done business, or really the way that we've conducted ourselves in the same exact way. I mean, at least I don't think I don't think that we will. But you know, there's. And, and to your and to both of your points earlier, there's been some success stories from a business to business and a and a, and also a consumer standpoint with industries that have shot through the roof. Um, real estate in, in my town in Massachusetts, you you can't make an offer below asking price for a house. You have to go. You have to go above now. Why people are moving out of the cities? Houses are going like more quickly than I've ever seen in my life. Um, Amazon, just absolutely just crushing it. Um, furniture companies that are designing ergonomically designed office, home office furniture, destroying it, just killing it. Um, cybersecurity, I would say is in that, is in that bucket. Um, sure, I think that there's been organizations that have slowed down their spending a little bit, but it's but it's still a highly lucrative business and it's, and it's a necessity for, for any large or mid-sized enterprise to your points earlier. So what, what are your thoughts on COVID and its impact on the cybersecurity industry overall and also the and, and investment in cybersecurity? From a cybersecurity standpoint, look, we talked about it already, remote access, this distributed workforce, um, the fact that so much of what we're doing or used to do is changed is, is, is creating, you know, opportunities for people, you know, uh, bad people to take advantage. And that's, that's creating a need for cybersecurity. That, that's really obvious. Um, 
I, I agree with you that the world's not going to revert to what it was, but I, I, look, I believe in science. We do a lot of, of, like I said, biotech investing. So I do believe that science will win out. Um, so ultimately, I like to think that we can go back to the way it was, but we'll choose to do things differently because now we've learned, right? We learned that we can effectively conduct business without having to, to you know, rush into one place like New York City and, and, and constantly, you know, maybe waste time getting there. We can be more productive. I can't wait to go back and, and work in the city on a very regular basis, but I know I don't have to do it all the time. I can get business done. We've made, we didn't know in the beginning of COVID that we'd be able to make investments without ever having met the team. That was, that was a big deal. Like we thought, okay, we can do follow-on investments. We can help our portfolio companies. We can even invest with people that we met like at RSA right before, you know, everything really shut down. But wait, when are we going to make our first investment in a group that we've, you know, we're not even sure these people have legs, right? Because we only see everybody from the, you know, the chest up. Uh, not that you have to have legs in order to, to qualify for an investment, but just pointing out the fact that we're not meeting people in, in person. And, you know, as an old, you know, as an investor for a long time, there was always, you have to kick the tires, you have to be there and go see, right? You have to meet people, you have to look them in the eye. We've gotten past that. You know, we've, we've made successful investments during COVID. Um, we've met fantastic people even more easily than we would have in the past. So, I'm going to turn to the silver linings, right? And there's a lot of them from this. I think in the future, uh, it's going to be great for entrepreneurs. I think it's going to be great for founders. I think it's going to be great for families and people because we can get a lot done in a, a distributed manner. So let's let's focus on that aspect. And in order for that all to work, it has to be done securely. So the cybersecurity aspect is pretty massive. But what I am excited about is sort of the future of, of, you know, emerging out of COVID and the opportunities that we'll all have uh, to innovate, to, to, to collaborate in ways that we were unable to before. You know, I agree, Charles. I'm, I'm very optimistic. Uh, you know, I think science will ultimately prevail. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer that innovation is often driven by uh, trial. And I think we're seeing a lot of that happen. We're investing in better companies today than we did pre-COVID, right? And there's, there's better entrepreneurs and, and, and better founders. Uh, when I think about COVID and cybersecurity, I think about, you know, the past 10 years of the cloud. There's been this story of, you know, everyone's going to go cloud, everyone's going cloud. And then every year people would say the same thing, right? And, you know, maybe we had 5% more people consider the cloud and they would dabble in it and they would move some of their infrastructure to public cloud. And we never saw the growth that we were all forecasting and everyone was waiting, when is it gonna happen? And you had all of these budgets and uh, you had all these tech companies considering how much do I invest in cloud infrastructure? How much do I build products that push my customers to the cloud? Cause they don't seem to wanna go. It seems like I'm pulling them. Right? And what's happening now is it's the push, it's the opposite. Uh, we're seeing customers finally having this trepidation over the past 10 years of moving and migrating. It, it's happening in a big shift in a big way. You know, you go look at the earnings reports of some of the leading uh, you know, cloud providers, Microsoft's one. You look at the tailwind of what's happening there. You know, AWS and Amazon and you know, Zscaler and others. It's just amazing what's happening. And so I think about 
not just dabbling in the cloud, I think about the entire infrastructure being in the cloud and that changes the conversation completely. You know, we had a hybrid cloud uh, a while ago. We had some people saying, okay, I'll move this portion up. I'll move these functions up. And now we have the concept of the distributed edge. It's ingress, egress is no longer at the corporation, right? It's direct to net, directly to public cloud. And in order for that to be successful, there has to be everything there. There has to be firewall, there has to be web proxy, there has to be logging, there has to be policy, everything has to be there. And so when I think about the future, I think about a couple things. One, not having to have everything on-prem and having distributed computers in the cloud, I think is gonna drive a lot of innovation in cybersecurity. Um, and you know, I think the processing power that's available in these public clouds is gonna drive innovation and security in a big way. Entrepreneurs will be able to do things they couldn't do within a 50 rack on-prem, right? The options are endless. And so I'm excited to see what comes of it. Uh, I think there's gonna be amazing things ahead. No, you know, maybe one other thing, uh, and I don't know, look, I, I'm a little behind on two days, one day's worth of reading, but so listening to Bloomberg uh, last night, the radio, and former military uh, out of security person, I forget his name, so I'm sorry, mentioned the talk now of creating a new branch of the military, a cyber force, right? Small, but an actual military branch. Mentioned, you know, Space Force as an example. And you start to think about that and it sinks in again, how long-term you know, the issues that we're dealing with. So uh, a cyber force, and yes, the idea is it's protect, you know, the, the country and its assets and its people, but also having offense, offensive capabilities in a way that act as, you know, the old saying, the best, the best defense is a good offense. So to, to, to stop attacks, the ability to have an offensive cyber attack is is something that you know I, I know is out there, but I it was it, it kind of hit home just really hearing about it for the first time. It 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 spoke to the scale and 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 the really long term aspects of what we're dealing with. And I you know I grew up in you, you know came of age, if you will, in the 80s and remember the Cold War and read all the time about, you know, stockpiling the nukes and it was pretty scary. I don't yet think of cyber in the same, you know, it doesn't strike the same amount of fear in you. I'm just hoping that it works the same manner that the threat of nukes, you know, stop nuclear war, the threat of offensive cyber attacks by a cyber force should hopefully, you know, curtail things like solar wind. The first wave, or at least with some of the some of the tactics and some of the tech that they that they throw at it, is kind of like the deception-based security sec or sector of, of cyber. Um, and I think that as I was interviewing for for my next new role, um, I stumbled across a couple of really interesting things around offensive security, um, attack simulation, like full-on like cyber attack simulation technology and platforms and training and things like that. So uh, there's, 
like it's it's definitely coming um and there's that and there's innovation out there i think that that is probably going to extrapolate itself from that movement within the government as well too so really interesting stuff right now it's going to be you know it, it as was mentioned it's it's public private partnership the, the the government cannot do it without the private aspect that innovation so yeah it's scary to think about a cyber force but the opportunity um the innovation the job creation you know the benefit of being at the forefront of that that that's a that, that's the positive side of it yeah, I, uh, it's, it's interesting you brought that up, Charles. I was having a conversation recently with a, a couple other buddies in the cyber industry, and we were talking on this very topic, uh, just how important cybersecurity has come, you know, from a national security perspective. And, you know, I kind of threw out a bold idea around the possibility that uh, a war in the future could be started and won in cyberspace. You know, if you think about the impact that a cyber attack can have on a nation. Uh, I mean, your mind can just keep going and going and going. And, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it doesn't happen, but I think the reality is, is it, it could, right? Cyber has become a critical component of national security, both from an offensive and a defensive perspective. Right, exactly. Well, and, we, and we've seen the way that it works on the, on, the, on the opposite end, even though, you know, there's, there's a number of rogue countries that never admit to and will never admit to state-sponsored cyber uh, cyber hacking and cyber terrorism, but you know it exists. It, cer it certainly exists, and uh, you know I think that's it, it's a really interesting concept for sure. Um, and it just and it just shows where we are and how reliant we are on technology. That you know the technology that controls everything from critical infrastructure to elections to everything else um, is a, is always going to be a target. Just to have a little bit of fun in the Cybercast rapid fire round. You ready? All right, here we go. Zoom or WebEx? Zoom. Oh, did you hear me? I said Zoom. Oh yeah. Oh, that, sorry. Zach, what's your oh, sorry. You know what happened? My my Zoom temporarily, you know, <laughs> flashed, so you couldn't hear me. Maybe you could change that to WebEx. My votes, <laughs> my votes. Microsoft Teams. All right. All right. Well, that goes in. That goes into my next one. My next question: Windows or Mac? Depends what I'm doing. <laughs> Windows for work. How about that? All right. Mac all day long. Right. Cybersecurity events. Miss them or hate them? Ooh. At, you know what? I I actually miss them. Net. I miss them. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I'm going to go with miss them too. It's time to go back. I, I didn't miss them the first year. You know, it's, it's a low bar though. I'll go to absolutely any event. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to some like, you know, old accounting event for for right now, some CD credits, anything. Just, just, to, go, just to go to something. Yeah, I didn't you know, think I'd miss I, them, I, but I... But I, I miss it, you, you know, in, in fairness and truth, you, you do learn an awful lot at, at these events, right? Uh, I, you can always attend too many, right? There's too many, there's a white noise, but the good ones are really good. Um, the ISAC related events are fantastic. There's so much to learn. I, I do miss them, I really do. I, I do too, but this is about you guys, not me. All right, yeah. employee productivity in the pandemic, better 
with remote and distributed work or worse? I know that our firm, we've had one of the most productive years ever. Uh, I know personally, I really need a break. Um, so yeah, I'd actually say the productivity's increased. Uh, I'm a big fan of people being in the same room and whiteboarding and working together. And I don't know if it's just my personality, but uh, part of me thinks that it's worse for early stage companies. Okay. All right. Next question. AI and cyber. This can get a little bit, this can drive certain people crazy when they talk about this, but AI and cyber, real or hype? Real. Real. All right. I have a million dollars to invest in an emerging company. Do I go, do I say, do I go in the direction of AI or am I going to go in the direction of something that's a little bit more of the machine learning side? With just a million dollars, I'll say AI. Yeah, same for me. AI it is. Okay. I've got $250,000 that I want to put into a cyber stock specifically today. CrowdStrike or Apollo? Let me call my Reddit friends and then we'll, we'll answer you. <laughs> Got to be careful. Robinhood will stop you from trading on that one. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever we say, by the way, it's going to be bad. Uh, uh, it, I, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Okay. CrowdStrike for me. I think Palo, uh, they're buying a lot of companies and it's a lot to put all that together. But if Palo can pull it off, I think they'll do amazing. But my, my bet's on CrowdStrike. All right more at risk from a cybersecurity standpoint. And we covered a little bit of this in, in, as part of the interview already. Supply chain or the cloud? Supply chain. Yeah, me too. All right. Now it's time to have some fun. NBA basketball, better in the bubble or better now that it's back in arenas? You know, it's still flawed it's not going to be better till a lot where, you know, we're back in the garden. Right. So, uh, I'll go with the bubble just because we needed something and it was great that it happened. Uh, I, but I like that there's fans in the stands. It's starting to happen a bit. You know, I was watching, I was watching, you know, so Zach, you must be a jazz fan. I was watching Nick's, you know, Utah was it last night or the night before. Anyway, it's good to see some people in the stands. Yeah, this is kind of a sore topic for me. Uh, there's only very few people let, you know, let into our local stadium to watch the jazz. And if I can't go there, you might as well push them back in the bubble. So I'm going bubble. <laughs> all right, all right. Final question of, of the 10 rapid fire round questions. As we head into Super Bowl weekend next weekend, Bucks or Chiefs, who you got? <laughs> you know, this is this. Uh, I'm I'm going uh, KC. I didn't know it was the Super Bowl uh, <laughs> coming up, so uh, I'll go with Chiefs. We'll see if they win. <laughs>